It's Tuesday, January 7th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. The latest drama between the U.S. and Iran is catching Iraq in the crossfire. The country's parliament has voted to kick out U.S. troops, putting the relationship with a key ally at odds. Then Congress is back in session, but what they'll do about impeachment is still anyone's guess. And finally, feeling the post-holiday blues? We'll explain how your Christmas tree could enjoy a second life. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story of the day is about the future of U.S. troops in Iraq. On yesterday's show, we told you about all of the drama between the U.S. and Iran. Remember, last week the U.S. killed Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani. Iranians have been in mourning for days. But Iran's next-door neighbor, Iraq, is also pretty upset about the killing. That's because Soleimani was targeted in a drone strike while he was in Iraq. He had just landed at Baghdad's airport and was leaving in a convoy when the U.S. killed him and an Iraqi militia leader. Now, Iraq is making sure its voice is heard amidst all the U.S.-Iran drama. So today we're going to get into how Iraq and the U.S. are responding to all of the fallout and why U.S. troops are in Iraq to begin with. Let's get into it starting with a little history lesson. The U.S. has been militarily involved in Iraq for a long time. The U.S. and Iraq fought against each other during the first Gulf War in the early 90s. But the big one was in the Iraq War in the early 2000s. After 9-11, the U.S. almost immediately invaded Afghanistan as part of its war on terrorism. But the Bush administration was also concerned about Iraq and whether its president, Saddam Hussein, was working with terrorists to develop weapons of mass destruction. So in March of 2003, On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. So the U.S. was involved in another war. For years, even though Hussein didn't have those weapons of mass destruction after all. But President Obama wanted out. Here he was in December 2011. The last American soldiers will cross the border out of Iraq with honor and with their heads held high. After nearly nine years, our war in Iraq ends this month. The war might have been officially over, but the fighting wasn't. While most of the troops crossed the border, like Obama said, there were still thousands of American boots still on the ground in Iraq. They were helping with the transition out of war. But there was something else on the horizon, too. The rise of ISIS around 2013. That battle against ISIS kept the U.S. in Iraq. And up through last year, about 5,000 U.S. troops were still over there. Which brings us back to recent events. A couple weeks ago, an American contractor was killed in Iraq. The U.S. blamed that attack on a group with ties to Iran. So the U.S. conducted airstrikes in Iraq and Syria, killing 24 people. Then protesters, also believed to be pro-Iran, broke into the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. That's what led up to the drone strike we mentioned at the beginning of the show. The one that not only killed Iran's top general, but also Iraqis as collateral damage. Even though the U.S. and Iraq are allies, and they've been working together to fight terrorism, tensions have been escalating. And now Iraq is kind of over it. On Saturday, crowds gathered in Iraq for a funeral procession for those two military leaders. And on Sunday, Iraq's parliament voted to kick U.S. troops out of the country. That decision got a lot of media coverage. To be clear, it was a non-binding resolution. It hasn't been signed by Iraq's prime minister, 
and the Iraqi government hasn't officially told the U.S. to get out. So nothing about this vote means the U.S. actually has to leave, yet. Though if Iraq did kick out U.S. troops, President Trump told reporters today Iraq would come to regret it. I think it's the worst thing that can happen to Iraq. If we leave, that would mean that uh, Iran would have a much bigger foothold, and the people of Iraq do not want to see Iran running the, company, that, the country. That I can tell you. Whatever Iraq does, U.S. officials are starting to prepare some possible responses anyways. One response was to start drafting what Trump called very big sanctions on Iraq as potential punishment. Another response was to consider actually pulling troops out of Iraq. Yesterday, a letter was accidentally released saying that U.S. troops would leave Iraq. But military leaders were quick to say the letter was just a draft. Pretend you never saw that. As we wait to see if Iraq does enforce the resolution to expel U.S. troops and how the Trump administration might choose to respond, Iraq is trying to get some heavyweights to weigh in. Earlier today, the Associated Press reported that Iraq's ambassador to the United Nations called on the U.N. Security Council to condemn the U.S. drone strike. That's unlikely to happen. But the symbolism of the move is pretty bold. A U.S. ally in the Middle East is telling the U.S., you crossed the line. So what's the skim? Tensions between the U.S. and some countries in the Middle East are running high right now. Even though most reports are talking about Iran, the drama between the U.S. and Iraq shouldn't be overlooked. Stacey Pettyjohn directs the Strategy and Doctrine Program at the RAND Corporation. This is a sign that the U.S. presence in Iraq, which has always been rather sensitive, is now incredibly politicized. Whether U.S. troops will be forced to leave Iraq and whether the U.S. decides to impose a new set of crippling sanctions on its ally is up in the air. But whatever happens next could have big implications on national security and U.S. military standing in the Middle East. Lawmakers from both the U.S. Congress and U.K. Parliament are turning off their out-of-office notifications this week and buckling in for what's likely to be a very busy new year. Back before the holidays, the U.K. held new elections, and Prime Minister Boris Johnson's Conservative Party got a big boost. His new parliament then passed a Brexit deal. Now, members of parliament are back to work to put some final touches on things. Starting today, they'll debate Brexit for three final days before taking a final vote on Thursday. Then, Brexit is set for a final, final approval in the House of Lords. With the new conservative majority, the bill is likely to pass, ensuring that Brexit will actually happen on January 31st. After that, there are still a lot of things to figure out, like what a future trade deal would look like with the EU. But at least for now, it's looking like breaking up is a little less hard to do. Back here in the States or across the pond, the U.S. Congress is, well, dealing with a lot. Before the latest news on Iran, the House of Representatives took off for the holidays after passing two articles of impeachment against President Trump, but without officially sending them over to the Senate. That's the necessary next step in the impeachment process. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's holding back the goods. She says that first she needs to know that if a Senate trial were to happen, that it would be fair. One thing she wants the Senate trial to include? New witnesses. People like John Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor, who is thought to have a lot of new firsthand info about President Trump's conversations with Ukraine. Yesterday, Bolton came out and said, I'll testify if you subpoena me. 
So far, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has basically said he's not interested in hearing from any more witnesses. But Bolton's announcement has led Senate Democrats to try and convince some of their Republican colleagues to get on board with issuing a subpoena. Democrats would need to flip at least four Republicans to make that happen. Though we should say Pelosi's strategy of buying some extra time could also backfire. Yesterday, about a dozen Republican senators put forward a resolution that would give the House of Reps just 25 days to send the impeachment articles over to the Senate. Or else, senators could vote to dismiss impeachment without the articles through a simple majority vote. So both sides in Congress aren't exactly chilling out at the start of 2020. Last night, Facebook announced a new policy to try to limit the spread of misinformation by cracking down on something called deepfakes. Deepfakes are videos edited with artificial intelligence tools to make it look like people are saying things they never said. The editing on some of these videos is so high-tech, it can be hard to tell they're not real. Sometimes the results are funny, like when Keanu Reeves' face is digitally inserted into old movies. But think about how deepfakes could be used in an election year to make it look like candidates are saying things they'd never say. Suddenly, deepfakes are no laughing matter. So how does Facebook hope to spot and take down deepfakes? Seems it takes one to know one. The company is hosting a challenge to develop AI tools to detect content that's being faked by AI tools. But not everyone is impressed. Some say the policy doesn't do enough to address equally misleading videos made using less sophisticated methods. Like when a video of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was deliberately slowed down to make it sound like she was slurring her words. Facebook also says it won't take down parody or satire videos, or videos that just change the order of someone's words. So as the 2020 campaign heats up, we could still see videos like this one of former President Obama posted by YouTube user Barack's Dubs. Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy. But here's my number. So call me maybe. If you want to learn more about deepfakes, check out our audio deep dive, available only in the Skim app. Head on over to the App Store to download and start your free trial today. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from your Christmas tree's new home. If the end of the holiday season is jumpstarting your January blues, turns out your Christmas tree could have a second life. The staff at New Jersey's Island Beach State Park recently put out a call for discarded Christmas trees. They wanted help rebuilding sand dunes to protect against beach erosion, and were hoping for 200 trees. They wound up getting over 2,000, but are totally rolling with it. Now, the park just needs volunteers to drag the trees into position. Not near New Jersey? Check with your local officials to find out other ways to recycle your tree, like turning it into compost, reinforcing natural habitats, or even using it as food for goats. How's that for a holiday gift that keeps on giving? And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.